so being out in nature, there's no, there's no sort of energetic competition. It's like there's space for everybody and every, everything. Nobody's needs or wants are sort of like higher than another. It's all sort of very equal. So I feel like, feel like I can truly relax. Welcome to Insightful Adventuring. I'm your host, Heather Webster, and I'm so excited to have you here today as I interview Sarah Jane Smith. Before we get into the interview, though, I do want to let you know that I have started a new Facebook group, and I'm going to be offering soon a free workshop that's going to be all around how to start traveling as a solo woman. Now I'm talking about a solo woman. That doesn't mean you have to be single. There's a lot of women out there that are wanting to start travel, but maybe their partner isn't interested in traveling. So no matter how you're looking at it, if you are somebody who is getting ready to start an adventure, whether it be two hours away from your home or all the way across the country, whatever, wherever you fall, in this area, if you think of yourself as a solo woman traveler or would like to plan a trip or plan a different way of living and you want to learn more, definitely reach out to me. You can send me a DM through any of my social media links, which you can find in the show notes, or you can send me an email at heatherwebsterwellness at gmail.com. So Without further ado, let's start talking about this interview with Sarah Jane. This was a really powerful interview that we really dive into what it looks like through her experiences as a woman who has had experiences with a long infertility journey that led to being childless and not by choice and how she uses nature to help support her in connecting with herself and healing through this process. She does this now with clients to help them on this journey. What an amazing woman to be able to share this experience with others and be able to really help them heal as they go through this process. You might be thinking, oh, this isn't something I've ever been through before. Just know that this episode could also help you depending on any struggles you might have that you've been dealing with in terms of where you might feel grief. And because she talks a lot about how to process through the grief and the different feelings that come up as you go through hard things within your life. So definitely tune in. And without further ado, here's Sarah Jane. Well, welcome to the Insightful Adventuring Podcast. I'm so excited. I have Sarah Jane here today, and we are just going to dive right in. So Sarah Jane, can you share with us a little bit about your story and how it relates to nature and kind of what you do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm Sarah Jane. I live on the unceded territory of the Hulkaminim and the Senchothan-speaking peoples, also known as Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, Canada. I am an embodiment teacher and coach, and I help fellow childless, not-by-choice women regain trust and connection with themselves and their bodies so that they can open up to life's possibilities. 
my own story that led to being childless, not by choice is a long one. I'll just give you the cold notes version. It included multiple miscarriages, a really long period of infertility, and then a chronic illness that led to a hysterectomy. So that all happened over about an eight year time span. So it was a long time to be in that uh, sort of cycle of hope and grief and things just sort of not happening the way that I hoped or thought that it was going to happen. And I live in a, a rural place. So being here um, and being in nature feels really comfortable. But it wasn't until after the hysterectomy where I could kind of draw a line in the sand and that idea of, well, maybe it'll still happen and holding on to that small amount of hope that I really was able to dive into my grieving process. Mm -hmm. And that's when spending time in nature became my a really big part of my grief tending practice. So a place where I could um, go and I'd go to the same sort of places, do the same hikes and sort of uh, they became very, very familiar and very comforting to to go to those same places and see those same trees and the sort of same landscape and feel that it was there for me. It wasn't moving. It wasn't going away. And my hopes and desires had nothing to do with it, it being and mm. that it was there for me. That's so beautiful. And I love how you talked about going to like those same locations over and over again and feeling like it became like almost your other home, right? And this space of knowing that those trees, right? The only thing we can guarantee is there's going to be change in life, right? And so yes, trees might change and grow, but they're still like, and they're so sturdy. There's something about when you come in contact with even animals, like they just are like in their space, in that spot of like, they know their purpose. And when you're there with them, it becomes more of like a community and connection as you get to know it. And I don't know, I'm not speaking for you. So feel free to pipe in with things that, right? Because everybody's experience is so different. But I imagine, at least for me, when I enter into a space, I know when I'm out in nature, I could deal with the things that are going on in my head or I can shut those out. And there's no person there that's going to give their own judgments. All mm -hmm. the plants and trees are just there and they can listen and feel and you can get that vibe from them to feel like they can, you're in that community with them. Absolutely. There's a, there's a different kind of spaciousness and sort of an energetic field. I'm somebody who is very attuned to people around me and sort of like what's going on and I have a hard time I'm a recovering people pleaser so I have a hard time sort of I was going to say boundaries but no that sounds wrong I have uh I have pretty pretty healthy boundaries but uh 
I guess taking up a lot of space around other people is something that um, has been difficult for me in the past. And so, so being out in nature, there's no, there's no sort of energetic competition. Right. You know? It's like there's space for everybody and every, everything. Nobody's needs or wants are sort of like higher than another. It's all sort of very equal. So I feel like, feel like I can truly relax. Yeah. And there's like a rhythm to it, right? That you can feel, you might not be able to explain to mm -hmm. like the world, right? It's like when you feel something, but you know, you just can't explain it. I know I feel that way a lot when I'm doing readings for people. I'm like, I know what I want to say, but I don't have the words to say it, right? You yeah. can feel that rhythm. So do you, one of the things you mentioned was the indigenous people that lived and stewarded the land before you. And that's something that is a big practice for me when I'm leading guides, um, guided walks through nature is really remembering kind of who came before and knowing that they had their probably own rituals on the land. When you go out in nature, there are things that you find as you're going through the grief process or while you're working with your own clients around their healing, are there things you share for them to kind of do when they get out there? Or mm -hmm. do you do certain things when you get out there? Maybe not even knowing it's a ritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, when I go out, I take my dog. I have a dog. He's my trusty companion. And so I kind of do this whole ritual of like putting his leash. I wear it like I kind of like wear it like a sash across my body and like making sure that I that I have all of the all of the things for him. And then uh, I let him go and he goes ahead. And that that feels sort of like an opening ritual just because I do it, you know, every single time. Uh, and it sort of gets me in in the mode, you know, I get all my like stuff arranged. Yes. So there's that. And then, you know, once he's a little bit ahead, I find myself looking up. Mm. I when I walk a lot, I find that I look down, not only to make sure that I'm not going to trip over, but um, I can be very in my head. And I think that is also sort of this sort of like looking down, sort of closed in. So I know that about myself. So I make sure that I look up and I look around, like really taking in the place that I am, even though they're the same. You know, it's the same path to get into the park as it was yesterday, um, not just sort of letting that brush by because it's the same, you know, because I could notice something different and also to change that sort of downward focus into an upward, outward focus. When it really puts you in that receiving mode, mm -hmm. right? And it's, I love this, that you have that same kind of message that was given to you to look up and that you do that regularly. When I was doing a hike a while ago and it wasn't really a hike. It was actually part of my assignment when I was becoming a guide. We had to spend a large amount of time on the land. And I say have to, as in like, I got to, which right. is cool. <laughs> it's like we had to be out there for six hours. And the idea was not to go far at all. Really just be in that space and maybe do some walking meditation, some sit spots, things like that. 
And one of the, I was barefoot and my feet started to hurt. And I realized I was focusing on every little thing on the ground. Mm -hmm. So my feet wouldn't hurt. And I got this message as I was walking. I was like, do I put my shoes on? Do I not? What do I do? And it said, just look up. And once I looked up, the pain went away. Mm-hmm. And I was able to focus. I was walking so slowly, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I could feel the roots and the rocks. And like you said, when you know a space, it's like if you ever see, well, actually any adult, probably when you've lived in the house for a certain amount of time, you don't need to turn the lights on to go up the stairs any longer. Mm-hmm. I love doing that. That's one of my favorite things about uh, the winter, actually, when it's dark in the morning to just sort of go slow and uh, let my eyes adjust. We have lots of windows in our house. We live in a place where I can see the sunrise. Um, yeah. And just to sort of be in the space yeah and not using the the primary sense you know we use our eyes so much and we have lots of other senses and so to have a little opportunity to sort of tune into those yeah for sure so going back to being childless um I shared with you before we started recording that I also don't have children um thought that I was going to have children um, and was told by society pretty much that I should have children, um, because I loved kids growing up. I wanted to be a teacher. I became a teacher, all of that. And kind of dealing with my own emotions around that of, was I a failure because I couldn't become a mom or was this actually what was supposed to, was meant to happen for me? And maybe I wasn't like all these different feelings as you work work through your own feelings about it and maybe work with clients. How do you see that idea around what you're supposed to do and that failure feeling? Cause I'm going to get, I'm, this is me guessing and assuming that many women might feel like failures if they can't conceive because society also says that's your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a very, it's a very common thread um, in my own story and in the many women that I speak to uh, who who are childless, not by choice or childless by circumstance. You know, there's lots of, you know, you described the way that you are also childless. And so there are so many ways that somebody can be childless. And uh, we think of, um, you know, infertility as the primary way, but there's so, so many different ways. And, and so there's way more women than we think uh, struggling on lots of different levels with, with being childless. And some may feel or connect to the idea of failing more than others, you know. Um, I definitely did. Um, because I was trying for so long, you know, it's what I, what I really wanted and, and, you know, sort of seeing people around me and, and friends who, you know, weren't even particularly trying to get pregnant and and it was just happening, you know? So it's sort of like, well, these people didn't even want it. And I mean, of course they're super happy that, that it happened. I don't say they didn't want it. I mean, they weren't uh, actively trying and I was actively trying and it wasn't happening. So what was I doing wrong? You know, that was a, a big thread that, that wove through and that, 
that takes time and it takes turning towards those feelings uh, and to integrate them. You know, they may never fully go away, um, but turning towards them and having some compassion for yourself that that is how you feel, that is how you felt, mm -hmm. and that the journey that you are on is the journey that you are on. Um, I personally don't uh, ascribe to the thought that like, oh, well, this was meant to happen. It was meant to be this way. Um, that, yeah, that just doesn't uh, work with my, uh, the way that I think about my, uh, my life path. And yeah, but I can look back and look forward yeah. and create meaning in my life, even though uh, things don't look and didn't look the way that I had thought that they were going to. I think everybody kind of looks at these experiences, whether it be being childless or some other trauma or things like that, they all have to process it for themselves. Absolutely. What that means for them. What, mm -hmm. Right. And so I always found it the hardest when I would go to, or I go to a baby shower mm -hmm. and it was like, yeah. So going to a baby shower was always really tricky for me. And at that point I had gotten to the point where I was okay with the fact that I wouldn't have children at that point, because, because of my kidney disease, I knew once I hit 30, it, it just wasn't safe for me. And if I did want to go the route of children, there were other options, but I had in my mind processed that it didn't make baby showers any easier. Mm -hmm. They're all talking about the babies and you instantly almost feel, well, for me, I felt like I was already pushed out of the conversation because all they talked about were the other moms sharing what they did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it was almost a reminder that whether you, you decide to not have children by choice or by not, cho not choice, you know, your friendships are going to change mm -hmm. and your relationships are going to change. Mm -hmm. How did you go through that whole process of friendship? Because for me, I know, once my friends started having kids, they went off with the other people that had kids. Mm -hmm. and, for me, and for me, it was like, okay, now I need to find couples because I was married at the time who don't have children mm -hmm. to hang mm -hmm. out with, which is a weird, like, that's not how I pick friendships. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's a, we call it like the friendship apocalypse. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, I had moved uh, during the time that I was trying to to get pregnant and having the the losses and the long period of infertility, I had, I had uh, yeah, we had moved. And so I was in a place of finding new friendships anyway. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while because I had those feelings of being on the outside. You know, a, a um, my husband has a child from a previous relationship. Mm -hmm. And so he lives with us part time. And at that time, he was quite young. And so yeah, being invited to birthday parties and like school pickups and all those kinds of things. It was uh, kind of like 
living in a at a baby shower every right. other week. There was a lot of time to uh, work with my triggers and emotions in the in that whole scenario. Um, but I digress. So I once I had uh, had the hysterectomy, I knew that I needed to to find friends that could really relate. So whether they had also had that same experience or they don't have children or they don't want children um, because people are just on a t different timing in their lives, right? Of like what their actual day to day, like how much time they have in the day. And like, you know, you're not, it's probably not gonna work out if to go for a, a walk at 5.30 with right. somebody who has a family with kids, like they're going to be like sitting down for dinner or making dinner. Like, so even just, you know, emotionally, there's a disconnect, but even just like logistically, there's yes. a disconnect. So I made it my mission to find other women who don't have children, or maybe they have children that are, um, have left, like they're not in a situation right now where their children are living with them and make make friends. And so I've met a lot of really great women at the dog park where I take my dog because um, it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like if people have dogs, it's such an easy in with conversations like, oh, what's your dog's name? Like how long have you had that? Like all that kind of stuff. You can strike up a conversation. No problem. Well, at least I can anyway. Yeah. And just being bold and sort of like, oh, my dog likes your dog. Would you like to like go for walks again? I've made some uh, really great friendships that way. And it took, um, yeah, being bold and just sort of asking if people wanted to get together and be friends. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, and I think <laughs> as you get older too, it gets that trickier like, how do you become friends when you're older? And a dog, exactly. a dog does help for sure, especially depending on what you do for work and things like that. As yeah, as I was kind of going through all that phases and stuff, I was I became a director of a school, so I couldn't be friends with any of the people I worked with because right. I was the director and I couldn't have that friendly relationship. So it was an interesting conundrum in my head. But I love this conversation, not only because of what the topic is, but I feel like as we talk about this, I'm starting to see so many connections about anything big in somebody's life, right? Like if you were married and got divorced mm -hmm. or if friends that were all getting married and you weren't getting married mm -hmm. or you were single and everybody else was like, I could see so many different connect or if, or if you got, if you were sick and were diagnosed with something and we were going through something totally different than what anybody could relate mm -hmm. to. There's so many connections. And I think that's why nature is so powerful because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter really what that big trauma or thing that you're going through mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. it, like, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I like that bird's eye view there, the, the zoom out. Yeah. yeah. So say, um, there's a couple listeners, there's a bunch of listeners who knows that are kind of processing through some of these emotions that you've gone through and that you help your clients with. Mm -hmm. Can you share a couple tips of like things that they can do um, that might be helpful for the listeners? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a longtime yoga teacher. And so movement and making time to be with yourself and with your body uh, is a tip that I would give. And it sounds easy, but I know that it's difficult and challenging, especially if your childless journey has involved um, loss or uh, maybe different procedures, maybe you went through uh, infertility treatment, or maybe you had uh, surgeries or hysterectomy, the body can feel like an unsafe, untrustworthy place. But it is super important to reconnect and re-engage with that primary relationship. Like that is our primary relationship with ourselves and with our bodies. And our relationship with ourselves and with our bodies is kind of reflected back to us uh, by relationships with other people. So finding something. So for me, it's yoga. For other people, it might be running or dancing or spin class, or maybe it's very gentle chair yoga, you know, just something that you can do that starts to connect you back in with your body. I just wrote this down because I think this is so powerful is this whole idea of your relationship with your body as a reflection of your relationships with others and what a powerful kind of message to deliver because so many people want to please and do things for others Mm -hmm. and they always have a hard time and trying to share with them that the way you treat yourself is right like if you give yourself the time to have a good relationship with yourself, that is serving others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I- yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have a base level trust with yourself and with your body, it's yeah. really hard to have that base level trust with other people, which makes relationships very difficult. Yes. I could imagine. I can only imagine. Well, I can imagine because I've had experiences in different experiences where there were times where I had the worst self image and self thoughts and hated parts of my body. And I can imagine if it it feels like your body has failed you, that you can even have anger towards your body. Absolutely. The whole range of emotions like grief. When we think of grief, we think of, you know, just sort of sadness and sorrow, but anger and resentment are huge uh, parts of grief. Mm. So either, do you have any other tips? So that's a huge tip, right? Mm -hmm. Finding some way of doing movement and finding ways to like really find a relationship with your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the second one uh, is self-compassion. You know, there's no other, for me, there's been no greater healing tool than Mm self-compassion. And that can look a number of different ways. You know, formal self-compassion practice can be done through meditation, through writing. um, And it can also be thoughts that you have throughout the day, like noticing your inner dialogue and when it's maybe not so kind and friendly and thinking of what you would say to a friend who is in that same situation and just sort of like listening to yourself am I saying those kinds of things to myself right and then um, finding other people who have 
uh, similar enough experiences that they can understand. Mm -hmm. Finding community is huge to being able to learn to accept and move forwards because we often have the capacity to uh, accept and be kind to others in a way that we don't necessarily have that capacity for ourselves, which is mm -hmm. where the self-compassion comes in. But if you can meet people and talk with people who have had similar yet unique experiences mm -hmm. and notice how kind you are with them and the types of thoughts and feelings that you think about them and start to cultivate that towards yourself. Yeah. And finding that community that can understand, but also challenges you in a way that helps support your growth. But yeah, also absolutely. There and those hard times. Yeah, for sure. And realizing that um that we're not isolated. We're not alone in our experiences. You know, there, there's um a, a Buddhist mindful mindfulness teacher and he I always remember he says that uh humans suffer from a condition known as terminal uniqueness where we think that what we are going through and what we've experienced, we're the only people that have had that experience. And so finding others um, who can really relate is a, is a great aspect of, of uh, being human. Yes. Oh, I love that terminal uniqueness piece because it is, everybody wants to have their own special thing and being able to be like, there are commonalities there's a, a thing going around Facebook that shows like the fingerprint along with the rings of the tree mm. and how close they are aligned. And mm. I think about that, whether like if you're not able to find that community right away with people being able to find it in nature and absolutely walking through the trees and hugging the trees if you need to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of finding community, you know, online, especially in the childless, not by choice world, there's a lot of access online, which is great because many of us, if we're having uh, overwhelming feelings of grief and sadness and we're not sure and our self-confidence is low, going to at like a place where you're like meeting people in real life can be a big barrier. So there's lots of... Um, you know, Facebook groups, as well as free and paid online communities where you can go attend different sort of talks or workshops or, or meetings where you can be completely anonymous. You don't have to turn the, your camera on. You don't have to say anything. You can just sit and listen. Um, and now they even have uh, an anonymous I, button on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Post anonymously. So it's a really great way to sort of start finding finding others who can relate in a non-threatening way speaking of that because that's something that it just brought up when I used to join I joined like the PKD the polycystic kidney disease Facebook group and as I was diving into it it also was a trigger for me and mm -hmm. so it was like this weird because it was almost seeing my future Right. People that were having a really hard time. So do you have a suggestion? Do you have your own Facebook group where mm -hmm. you support people in a way that's like, 
in in such a way that's not it might be triggering but I don't know if I'm making myself Mm -hmm. really understood of like not having it get so hard where it brings a lot of people down like how does that kind Mm -hmm. of oh yeah it is it is interesting for sure I am an administrator of a Facebook group called childless by circumstance not by choice and there's three administrators and we have um, all the posts have to be approved by administrator. And so we have a long uh, set of guidelines uh, that we follow about uh, content, pictures, procedures that pictures and links to articles have to be in the comments. So someone, you know, if someone's scrolling by, they don't see a triggering yeah. picture. There's no um talk about trying to conceive or adoption or anything like that it very strictly um moderated and we have um trigger warning guidelines and and uh different ways to make it as least triggering as possible right you know there's no way of making something 100% not triggering right uh, and and there's also a responsibility of each individual to sort of look at something read a trigger warning and be like no okay I'm just going to yes. pass by that today you know I'm not I'm not ready for that today uh, and that is also a great practice of noticing what and where the triggers come from as well which is all part of the the healing and the integration Right. Because you might be like, oh, I'm fine today. And you step outside and you go to the grocery store and you're triggered. Right. Exactly. There's there's so being able to process through that is, I'm sure, a big part of the healing journey and probably one that's well, actually, it is one for me, at least that's ongoing. Absolutely. Like because I mean, they're everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And as we go through life, different things change, right? So my friends who I, who had, have older children when I met them, so weren't, they weren't living in the house, uh, met the children as adults are now at a time in their life where they're having kids. So my friends are now becoming grandparents and I'm not, you know, so it's sort of like the whole wheel again. So yeah, working and knowing at at this point what triggers me and what I need to do to take care of myself um, is really important. Yeah, because we can't live in a trigger-free world. No, it's fun. Like, again, it goes back to like any experience that you've had in your life could trigger something that brings emotion in. And so you never know what could be triggering for one person isn't triggering Mm -hmm. for the next. And it might be, um, cause I was talking to somebody about talking about going and being able to go into a park and be like, Oh, just go to your neighborhood park. If you want to get out in nature, not thinking it really through about that might be a triggering spot for them. Maybe mm-hmm. something big happened at that park and that's not the place for them to go. If they live in a neighborhood where they don't feel safe mm-hmm. then and then having accessibility and all of that other pieces. So it's, it's a very interesting world and what a cool position we're in to be able to support people around these different modalities. Mm-hmm. And so speaking of being able to support people around them, this, how, where can people find you? 
Mm, the best place to find me is on my website, which is embodiedpossibility.com. Uh, I have a ton of free resources there, some different um, of a self-compassion meditation practice, uh, journaling practice, free movement practices. Also have a, a YouTube channel that's free, full of movement practices, and it all can be found through my website. Wonderful. And we'll put those in the show notes for sure. Yeah, thank you. Such a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Sarah Jane, for being on the podcast. Mm, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of, of Insightful Adventuring with Sarah Jane Smith. It was such an honor to be able to sit down with Sarah Jane and really be able to talk about her journey and how it aligns with some of her clients, but also. Uh, my own journey, and probably many of you. We talked about so many fantastic things along with just feeling like a failure, um, especially as a woman, what that looks like. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you have your own takeaways that you're able to now use to go back and use those tips in your everyday life. Again, if you're interested in learning more about solo travel or connecting to nature, feel free to reach out to me in the show notes and also take a look around at what Sarah Jane has to offer. Her information is also in the show notes. So thanks again for tuning in to Insightful Adventuring. Have a great day.